Emergency Management Australia. EMA. Emergency Management Australia. Podcast. Podcast downloading now. Downloading. Downloading. Downloading now. Now. Podcast. G'day there, I'm Kieran Murphy and welcome along to another episode of the EMA Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Barbara Ryan. Barbara is the Assistant Principal of the St Ives North Public School and she'll be discussing the school's Project Firestorm, the winner of the Resilient Australia National School Award for 2017. But first up, we're talking Maritime Rescue. EMA. Marine Rescue New South Wales volunteers are recognised for their marine skill, experience and commitment to saving lives on the water. This team of boating safety advocates works together both on and off the water to provide boaters with the assistance, advice and vital rescue services to help individuals stay safe on the water. With more than 3,000 volunteers in 44 strategically located units watching over the state's most popular boating, fishing and cruising regions, there's a job for almost everyone at their local Marine Rescue New South Wales unit. We spoke to Stacey Tanos, Commissioner of Marine Rescue New South Wales, about the service. We have along the, along the coast, we have units that are um, up and down the, um, the coastline from Queensland border down to the Victorian border. We also have uh, inland waterways that are, uh, we have units based at um, Alpine Lakes and on the Murray River, uh, providing a service to the boating communities down there. Within our 45 bases, we have what we call search and rescue coordination centres. So 16 of those are strategically located along the coast, uh, operate um, and amend um, 24-7 they are. Uh, and, they're, and they're there to receive and monitor the radio calls for the uh, boating community. Our members that are boat crews and, and are on our vessels, our 84 operational vessels, um, they are on the boats on weekends, Saturdays, Sundays and public holidays and some of the units are on during the week as well, but are available for call uh, for call outs 24/7. Of course, there's no such thing as an average call out, but what would a typical call out look like? They come in a variety of manners. I mean, they they uh, largely will come via radio in the first instance by either the vessel that's in distress uh, managing to call us, or if um, it's too late for that to happen and they've had an incident where their vessel is overturned or capsized for whatever reason or their radio doesn't work, we will get notification by um, another vessel that's nearby um, or through their mobile phone. If they've still got, um, if they've got mobile phone access uh, coverage on their boat, they will call, um, call on their phones. Um, or in some cases, um, their EPIRBs, um, if, they, if the boat overturns or they're in distress and they've got an EPIRB on their boat, which they should have if they're going out, anywhere after two nautical miles, um, they will uh, trigger that and that will go to AMSA, the Australian Maritime Safety Authority, uh, who in turn will notify uh, the jurisdiction responsible once they identify the Latin longs of that call. Um, And in this instance, it would be um, New South Wales Police Marine Area Command, who who have got the legislative responsibility for the coordination of rescue, and they will then uh, contact uh, Marine Rescue New South Wales, who sends out the appropriate closest resource. Yeah, I noted you mentioned mobile phone coverage there. You guys at Marine Rescue have also developed the Marine Rescue smartphone app. The app, whilst the app is for logging on and logging off, it does have other information on it. So it has uh, tips, uh, handy tips that you need to, or a checklist you need to go through before you take your boat out, uh, albeit a modified version, but um, it has checklists, it has weather information on there, it has safety measures in there and calling procedures that if you do get into trouble. So it's a, it's an information resource as well as being a, a tool for logging on and, and having someone responsible keeping an eye on you 
Um, it integrates with our with our tracking system. Um, it's a free download through either the iPhone store or um, Android phones. You can get it as a free download as well. And it's just another form that makes it a little bit easier for individuals and another choice to log on. It frees up the radio during the busy times of the summer period when recreational boaters and fishermen are out there during early hours of the morning. So the person's got the opportunity to log on using uh, either predetermined um, boat ramps that are already in there or they could drop a pin on a map. Um, they identify where they're going, location they're going and what time they're expected back. And there's a few um, questions that they need to answer once only and it's how many people are on board. Uh, type of vessel. Once they do all the basic questions, um, it's kept in the cache and they never have to do that again other than the location and number of people on board clearly uh, changes from week to week. Um, and they log on using that app and they have, and that goes to the, the nearest radio base. Um, it will give them a message to say that it's been sent to that base and awaiting response, uh, which requires our people to uh, respond back and accept that log on so that uh, both parties understand that one's been uh, a request has been sent and acceptance has been um, provided to them that they've been logged on so both parties understand just where they where they stand with that it also gives the individual the opportunity to opt into a a live tracking so that means that um, we can track our radio bases the base that is logged on with can track that vessel uh, in real time, it sends a ping back every 15 minutes via, via satellite uh, to our radio base and to our tracking system. Uh, that's a choice for the boater. If they want to use that, they don't need to, uh, but the option is available there. Look, technology sounds fantastic, but I guess all of this has got to come at a price. So uh, who funds Marine Rescue New South Wales? It's largely state-funded, and that's through a, a grant of about $1.6 million from the state government and another $6 million that comes from a small boating uh, levy which is placed on boat licences and registrations. It's about running at about $8.50 at the moment, but that generates collectively about $6 million from that levy. So it sounds very much like a user pays kind of fee for uh, recreational boaters. Well, that's primarily our, our largest constituency consists of the recreational boaters, um, but we most certainly will go to the aid of anyone that's in need. So how does the call for assistance typically come in? Um, it, depending on, on how the alarm is triggered, uh, or the request for assistance, uh, if, a, if an EPIRB triggers it, you immediately got the, the buy-in of um, the Australian Maritime Safety Authority, uh, so they coordinate that with the jurisdiction responsible, which would be policed in this regard. Police then um, get us involved and any other resources that they think is necessary, and it may be that they may have a um, surf life-saving that's closer to where the incident is. It may be that it's out to sea uh, too far and it may require immediate uh, and, and it, it may require immediate aerial support. So helicopters could be tasked, and that could be the Westpac helicopter. Um, AMSA may um, task their um, fixed-wing aircraft to drop in a survival raft. So there's a number of different aspects, just depending on the circumstance and the um, and the and the distress call. Must take a special type of person to receive this call for assistance and then head out in you know all sorts of awful weather. January of last year, I think there was a um, a significant storm event up at Port Stephens, and our unit was involved. I think there was five Mayday calls received on that day. The winds were blowing from 30 to 40 knots. They were waves were eight metres, um, and police and our Members up at Port Stephens were activated to go and assist a number of vessels that were in trouble. 
um, and uh, our unit up there had three knockdowns on one of those um, on one of those assists, just trying to battle the conditions that they were out out in. So they get quite significant. And when I say knockdown, I mean the, the boat um, went all the way horizontal, you know, to the waters to the waterline. Uh, fortunately, that was a rideable boat, um, and all the uh, the members were okay. But it gets quite quite hairy and quite um, quite dangerous out there. We had one only up at Broken Bay, which was just east of McMaster's Beach, where there was a, a call for a man overboard was reported. So um, our boat, within half an hour, I think, had gone gone out there, and those seas were um, quite significant. It was a southeast um, a swell, and they were four to five metre southeast winds with four to five metre swell. Um, and within half an hour, we were on site and spotted the uh, individual in the in the water and um, brought them into safety. Well, it sounds like pretty scary stuff. So uh, where do I sign? If you want to volunteer, there is um, no, no real restrictions on it. And the, the variety of work that can be done can range from um, the obvious, which is you know working in a radio room and manning a radio, being a radio operator or a watch officer, to working uh, on the boats uh, as, a, as a crew or leading crew or a coxswain or a master. Um, to doing administrative work, fundraising, being the treasurer of the organisation, doing PR work. Um, you either go to our website, marinerescmrnsw.com.au, or you drop into your local unit and just go, go in and say hello and have a chat to them, um, and they'd be more than happy to show you around, uh, give you an application form and um, let you know just um, what the organisation does and, and what you could expect. And I guess when you're doing this kind of volunteer work, no two days are ever the same, right? In um, uh, May of this year, early this year, we, we received a distress call from an elderly gentleman that was on a um, his four-and-a-half-metre uh, tinny um, out at Evans Head that um, he had an incident with a... Um, 2.7 meter white pointer that jumped into his boat. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It made international um, news. It did. So it got a lot of a lot of interest and a lot of attention. This shark jumped 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 over the stern of his boat and into his boat and was thrashing around, uh, which caused no end of havoc on the boat. And uh, um, the um, person on board had to scurry away from it and get out of harm's way and radioed in for assistance and our people went out there to um, assist him and, and, and bring him back to shore. Shark on board. <laughs> Emergency M- Management A- Australia. EMA. Emergency Management Australia. EMA. Podcast. Downloading now. Next on today's podcast, Simon will be talking to Barbara Ryan, the winner of the Resilient Australia National School Award 2017. Emergency Management Australia. EMA. Barbara, thanks for giving us your time to discuss this year's 2017 Resilient Australia Awards. Firstly, I'll just provide a bit of background to the awards for our listeners. Uh, The Resilient Australia Awards is a nationwide program to recognise and promote initiatives that strengthen community disaster resilience. Since the year 2000, the awards have showcased innovation and exemplary practice across Australia, celebrating achievements that might otherwise go unseen and inspiring others to build greater disaster resilience in their own communities. The awards are proudly sponsored by the Australian Government through the Attorney-General's Department in conjunction with the States and Territories. The awards comprise three categories, the Resilient Australia National Award, the Resilient Australia National School Award and the Resilient Australia National Photography Award. This year, over 180 entries were received across all categories and entrants were judged using criteria aligned to the National Strategy for Disaster Resilience. 
St Ives North Public Schools Project Firestorm won the Resilient Australia National School Award. That is an amazing achievement. Barbara, can you perhaps begin by providing our listeners with an overview of what Project Firestorm is? Thanks, Simon. Project Firestorm was developed by a team of teachers at St Ives North Public School in collaboration with the New South Wales Rural Fire Service. It was a project that was born out of um, a grant that we received from the Department of Education in New South Wales to develop STEM projects within our schools, STEM being science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Project Firestorm was born out of the geography curriculum. So our geography curriculum encompasses an aspect of bushfires and bushfire uh, knowledge for the children and we saw a perfect vehicle to embrace our STEM learning and integrate that with our geography study in our classrooms. This project was for stage three students who are in years five and six in New South Wales public schools and our students um, embraced this project in 2016. St Ives North Public School is a beautiful school on the edge of the Karingai National Park. Our back playground area actually drops away into the Karingai National Park. And as such, we are in a fire-prone area and bushfires are an um, a aspect of the um, curriculum that we do need to study, as I said, but also it's a very authentic t- uh, difficulty that our school faces. We found that when we were talking to children in the initial stages of our project that less than 3% of the students had a fire plan or knew of their families having a fire plan within their homes. And we were quite amazed by that. And we decided that this, besides the fact of having a geography aspect to the project, It would also help our children to develop their own understandings and therefore resilience on how to behave if a fire actually ever happened in the St Ives area. So a result of the uh, the project has been that the students took their knowledge home, that many of their parents embraced them, the understandings that the children were developing and developed their own projects at home, their own plans at home on how their community would survive a bushfire within, uh, within the St Ives region. You mentioned you work closely with the Rural Fire Service. Can you tell us a bit about that and how the students found that experience? Yes, the link with the Rural Fire Service started with a casual conversation with one of my uh, teaching colleagues who spoke to his neighbour who was a volunteer with the Rural Fire Service and was chatting literally over the back fence and talking about the fact that at the school we were doing this project and the neighbour said well you know he was really interested and maybe the Rural Fire Service could come and talk to our children. So that was where the link was made with the Rural Fire Service. But this link became far deeper and more um, all-encompassing than we ever imagined the combination of the Rural Fire Service and the schools to ever be. So after that initial conversation, the, uh, the volunteer spoke to his line manager who then linked with uh, us with Tony Jarrett from the New South Wales Rural Fire Service being a community engagement officer. They came to our school many times to help our students understand 
what the potential for bushfires was in this area and what the New South Wales Rural Fire Service role was. So their initial visit to the school was to our senior school assembly and the senior students got to see the firefighter decked out in all his gear. They saw the, um, the truck arrive in the school playground and, and they were excited. They followed that particular visit up with their team of volunteers coming to the school. We had eight classes involved in this particular project and a volunteer or two from the Rural Fire Service came to each of our classrooms and chatted with the children, asking questions of them, but also answering the children's questions about what their role was. And for example, in my classroom of year six students, I can remember vividly the students talking to the volunteers about their outfits that they wear, their fire protection hoods and jackets. And then they started to understand what it may potentially be like to be a volunteer. From that discussion, the children then took that information about the fact that the suits were very hot, it was difficult sometimes to breathe, um, and one particular little group in my room, it, it sparked an idea for them that, that perhaps they could help the Rural Fire Service, um, the volunteers. And so those children then took that idea and designed a set of goggles for Rural Fire Service volunteers to wear that alerted them to their uh, physical uh, reaction to the bushfires. And it's a very simple little idea. So the bushfire fighters wear protection for their eyes and the boys designed a little series of LED lights that was attached to some physical detection um, that was within their, their suits that detected their heart rate, their blood pressure, whatever it may be and then that alerted, triggered some lights on their eye protection wear, green being it was safe to, for the firefighter to stay there, amber being that they were distressed, and red being you really got to get out of there, you're, you're not coping particularly well with this in a physical sense. The Rural Fire Service really loved that particular project and the boys' work was just um, seen as being exemplary. The Rural Fire Service were absolutely wonderful. The level of understanding that the children got from that interaction with them was just astounding. And they just loved talking to these people who really were at the coalface um, of the, the firefighting. I'll just continue for a moment to explain that when we develop these projects, we use a model called design thinking. And within that model, the children have to go through stages of understanding the background to the problem that they're trying to solve. And one of those special stages is to empathise. They've got to understand the people that they're designing the, the, the project about. And whilst the children could get some second-hand stories from the web and from podcasts like this one, uh, that people were talking about um, their experiences of bushfires, it wasn't until the Rural Fire Service volunteers came in and actually said, this is what it's like to be in the fire, this is what we do, and this is how we've seen people react, that the children then took it at a deeply personal level 
and they really engaged in a much more empathetic nature with the problems that these people have when they're facing a bushfire. So there's lots of stories. I could tell you lots. There's lots and lots and lots of interesting things. But I suppose that's some of the ways that they've reacted to working with the rural fire service. So what is it about Project Firestorm that you think made it stand out? The standout was the fact that the the students did have that relationship with the rural fire service. Without a doubt, the that just deepened the engagement the students had to having that real community contact. The other was the fact that we have a very, very collegial staff working on this project. We had, as I said, eight teachers, eight classes involved in that particular project and we all managed to work together. So we're a team, we're a team of eight teachers who all work really closely together as a result of that, we had over 200 children working on projects. We had very, very um, experienced science teacher, Mr Stuart Norrington, and he was explaining to the children and doing science experiments with the children about bushfires and how fires travel up hill with um, great speed, but when they travel downhill, the, the fire goes a little bit slower. So Stuart was talking about the fuel that was in the fires and the heat transfer and those sort of things. But then we also have a technology teacher, Mr Sean Walsh, and Sean was helping with extraordinary things like they were coding robots so that the robots could go out into the bushfire areas and find hot spots after the fire had gone through and then either shoot water onto the hot spots of the fire or one of the other groups said that they would identify a hot spot and then that would beam up to a satellite. The satellite would tell the, the rural fire service where the hot spot was and then they could go and put the embers out. So Sean was helping with his technical skills to help the students uh, take these ideas to a point where they could prototype in some fashion. So we had not only the Rural Fire Service, but we had our amazing teachers and our amazing support teachers. But then we had amazing support from our parent community. They really embraced this too. And at the showcase at the end of the 12 weeks, I think it was, that we put this together was met with such amazing community support. There were parents, there were grandparents, there were teachers from other schools, there were university lecturers, there were Department of Education people here. There was our Commissioner for Bushfire for Emergency Relief came and that made it an amazing presentation because we had our real authentic audience with us. It wasn't the children doing a little project that got tucked away in a teacher's bag and taken home and marked and brought back. Here were the children presenting their ideas to an audience that said, yes, kids, we're listening to you. We know you've got ideas and we value the ideas that you are bringing to this particular project. So there was just so many aspects that made this um, an outstanding um, project. The children, of course, they were just gorgeous. Our staff were amazing. The support we got from the community, support from the Rural Fire Service, I think it came together to make the, the perfect project. It sounds like the students really enjoyed getting involved. 
You mentioned Project Firestorm was developed in 2016. So what's next? Will the project continue as an ongoing program within the school? We have had the most amazing response to Project Firestorm. Again, with the support of the Rural Fire Service, they produced a video um, of our project and um, they tracked what the students had been doing, but they also captured the students' thoughts and their ideas about this particular style of learning. They have been using that to showcase their interest in children being the vehicle to get the message out to communities that fires are a difficult thing that we need to deal with. The students perhaps become the catalyst for a bit of a change for the rural fire service. So they've been our support but also a bit of our publicity. But also we were very fortunate at the time, as I said at the beginning, that we had a Department of Education grant for a STEM project, the Science, Technology, Engineering and Mathematics, and that, that from an educational point of view has been seen as an exemplary project embracing what we call project-based learning. So from both sides we've had you know, support and um, praise from the Department of Education, but then also from um, the Rural Fire Service. We've had visitors from um, from overseas come and see what we've been doing. We are now mentoring other schools across New South Wales or Sydney, more specifically for us, in actually developing STEM projects, not necessarily Project Firestorm, but um, STEM projects across our public schools. We will be repeating Project Firestorm in the beginning of 2018 with our next cohort of students coming through. We work on a two-year cycle. This year we've done a different STEM project, but next year we're going to repeat Project Firestorm and see how it goes again. Hopefully the Rural Fire Service will sit beside us again and bring in that uh, authentic audience for us. The students are keen, we're keen, and look, we might take it off in a different different focus. We never know. Where. The, the beauty of these projects is the children may find a different solution to a problem that we don't even realise is there. But the fundamental thing is that they're learning about their environment and how they can improve it for other people around them and understanding what it's like to be somebody that has to live through these disasters. So it's got so many flow-on um, things that we just, we just can't wait to get going again. Thanks again for your time, Barbara, and all the best for 2018. Thanks, Simon. It was very nice chatting with you. EMA. Emergency Management Australia. EMA. <laughs> EMA. Emergency Management Australia. Emergency Management Australia. EMA. Emergency Management Australia. 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 Well, that wraps up another EMA podcast. Thanks very much for listening. If you like the show or have some suggestions for us, hit us up at Twitter at AGDGOVAU. I'm Kira Murphy. Thanks for listening. Emergency Management Australia. Emergency Management Australia. Podcast.